portion of God's word that we'll focus our attention on for a few minutes this, this Sunday comes from probably the most famous chapter of the Bible, John chapter 3, but we're going to stop one verse short of what's probably the most famous passage in the Bible, John three sixteen. Reading from John chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can do these miraculous signs you are doing unless God is with him. Jesus replied, Amen, amen. I tell you, unless someone is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Amen, amen, I tell you. Unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be surprised when I tell you that you must be born from above. The wind blows where it pleases, you hear its sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. How can these things be? asked Nicodemus. You are the teacher of Israel, Jesus answered, and you do not know these things? Amen, amen, I tell you, we speak what we know. We testify about what we have seen, but you people do not accept our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe it if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man who is in heaven. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you've spent time in in a Christian church, you probably know that in just about every Christian church out there, at some point during the service, the people in the church say a creed. Usually it's one of two. Usually it's either the, the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. There's a third one, a much longer one, called the Athanasian Creed. Historically, this is the Sunday when you'd say the long one. So if you remember as a kid going to church when there was like the the creed every week, and then there was this one week when it was like five times longer. That's, that's supposed to be this week. We're not going to go through it all in detail, but we'll go through a little bit of it today. But first, just a little background on some of the creeds. So the Apostles' Creed is the oldest. It's also the shortest and the simplest. 
We don't have an exact date on when it was written. The, some of the earliest evidence we have of it is from the 300s AD. And the way that it's spoken about in those manuscripts makes it sound like it's really, really old. They talk about it as if it had been, it had been confessed by generation after generation for hundreds of years already in the 300s. So that's where scholars make their conclusion that this was probably written within 100 years of Jesus' ascension somewhere in the first or second century AD. It's not called the Apostles' Creed because we think the apostles wrote it. Rather, it's called the Apostles' Creed because the people who wrote it said, this is what the apostles taught us. Then in 325 AD, they needed a new creed. And it was not because God's word had changed. It was not because there was a, a new interpretation of, of who God is. Merely there was a new teaching that needed to be combated a man named Arius had begun to teach that Jesus, the Son of God, was begotten of the Father in time. So he was teaching Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus is God, but there was a point when Jesus did not exist. And there was a point when Jesus, the Son of God, came into being. And so the people who put the Nicene Creed together, they gathered together in the city of Nicaea, And they had a a big conference. And they talked about what does the Bible say about Jesus? And they came up with this, this new wording to more fully explain what the Bible says about who Jesus is. And that's where we get the, the phrase, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him, all things were made. It's not that many words, but it's just enough to further clarify what the Bible says about who Jesus is. There was no point in time when Jesus became the Son of God. He's eternally begotten of the Father. And that brings us to the third creed, the Athanasian Creed. If you want to follow along, it's in the front of these hymnals in your pews on pages 132 and 133. You're welcome to look it up if you'd like. But I just want to read you the beginning and the end. Because there's some strong words in here. Words that are so strong they make most Americans uncomfortable. It starts like this. Whoever wishes to be saved must, above all else, hold to the true Christian faith. Whoever does not keep this faith pure in all points will certainly perish forever. Doesn't mince words, does it? Then you got about two-thirds of it talking about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, co-equal in glory, co-equal in majesty. Line after line explaining what the scriptures say about the triune God. And then there's a few lines that, that get into this whole Jesus thing again. Is he really eternally begotten of the Father? What do we say about Jesus? What don't we say about Jesus? And then here's the end. Ready? This is the true Christian faith. Whoever does not faithfully and firmly believe this cannot be saved. We call statements like this absolutes. Right? There is a clear claim here to absolute truth. The people who wrote this said 100%, undeniably, this is the truth. If you don't believe this, you can't go to heaven. It's impossible. Now, we live in a world, and these confirmands are growing up in a world and entering into a world where absolutes have been rejected for a long time. This is not a new thing. 
right? If you've gone to school in the last 40, 50 years, pretty good chance absolutes were already being rejected. From the perspective of academia, to claim an absolute truth is the highest form of arrogance that our culture knows. For any human to stand up and say, this is undeniably objectively true. You cannot argue with this, it's so true. That notion is completely rejected in our society. Many of us have been living in this culture for a long time. You guys are just growing up, just entering it. And it has an impact on how we, even as Christians, talk and think. I believe the Bible's God's word, but if somebody really pushed me on it, I might just back off at some point and say, ah, well, it works for me. That's not absolute, that's relativism, right? Relativism sounds like a big concept, it's not. It means everything's relative. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. You live your truth, I'll live mine. That might be the the motto, the theme song of, of today's culture, right? That's relativism. That comes into our way of thinking. Maybe some of you say, I can't imagine life without Jesus. I can't imagine life without church. But if someone else finds a different path that works for them, who am I to tell them otherwise? That's relativism. Everything's relative. doesn't matter. The Athanasian Creed says, can't go there. It's not relative. It's absolute. And if you don't take these guys' words for it, take Jesus' word for it. Because he uses language that's even stronger than this. In our, in our text for today, he's talking to this man named Nicodemus, and we were told Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a member of the Jewish ruling council. And as you read through the Gospels, we see the Pharisees a lot. They're always the adversaries of Jesus. They're always the opponents. They're always the ones who are trying to trick him, trying to attack him, trying to find some fault in him. And so if you know that, you might listen to this and say, hmm, this guy sounds different. He almost sounds like a friend, not an enemy. And he does, right? He sounds friendly. He comes to Jesus humbly. He calls him rabbi, which is the respectful term for a Hebrew teacher, right? Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. Is that true? Yeah. Was Jesus a teacher who came from God? Sure. It's true. How about the next line? For no one can do these miraculous signs you are doing unless God is with him. Is that true? Well, yeah. No one could perform the miracles Jesus was doing unless God was with him. But instead of wrapping his arm around him, patting him on the back and thanking him for the compliment, Jesus doesn't do that. He does the opposite. He teaches and tells them he's wrong. You see, Nicodemus was wrong. He said things that sound good. You're from God. God is with you. It's obvious to me. But you know who else could have said that? Arius could have said that. The guy in 325 who said that there was a a point in time when God the Son came into being. Arius would have said the same thing. You're a teacher who came from God. No one could do this if God were not with him. Jesus says that's not far enough. You don't actually believe in me. You believe in a construct of me that you've made up in your mind. You think you know who I am. You don't because you're flesh. 
And flesh can't understand me or God's kingdom. And so he teaches. He teaches three points. It's those three amen, amen statements. That's what I want to walk through with you now. So if you go back to your text, starting in verse three, there's three times when Jesus says amen, amen. Now that's the word we end our prayers with. It literally means truth. So when you pray the Lord's Prayer or any prayer, you say amen. What you're saying is I believe what I just prayed. I believe that what I just prayed is truth. I believe that you could do what I asked you to do. Whatever I just said, I believe it. So Jesus is saying it twice to emphasize truth, truth. What I'm about to say to you could not be any more true than it is. Truth, truth, I tell you. Unless someone is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, a lot of translations translate this born again. You probably heard that phrase, right? Born again Christian. That's where this comes from. Born again comes from this verse. Literally, it says born from above, though. Unless you are born from above, you can't see the kingdom of God. And forget seeing the kingdom of God as if seeing it mattered. You can't come into it. Second point. Amen, amen, I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus is looking at this Pharisee, this guy who on the outside looked like what a churchy guy should look like. If you're the right kind of church-going fella, this is what you look like. If you strive to do things right, this is what you looked like. Jesus says you can't see it, you can't go into it unless you're born from above. And then one more. Amen, amen, I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify about what we have seen. But you people, talking about the Pharisees and anyone else who rejected him, you people do not accept our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe it if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, who is in heaven. Sorry to yell at you, but this is a big deal. Did you hear what he just said at the very end? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven. He doesn't call himself the son of God. He calls himself the son of man. This flesh and blood man standing in front of him, in front of you, Nicodemus, came down from heaven, and oh, by the way, I'm still in heaven. You ever heard God is omnipresent? Present everywhere all the time? If Jesus is truly God, which he is, What's he claiming here? I didn't just come from God, Nicodemus. It's not that God is with me, Nicodemus. It's that I am God, Nicodemus, and I'm actually still in heaven, Nicodemus, and here in front of you, God and man, right here. Right in front of you. But there's only one way you could believe this. There's only one way you could see my kingdom. There's only one way you can enter it. It's if you're born from above. Because you were born flesh, Nicodemus. And only what's born of the Spirit can comprehend these things. The Apostle Paul wrote about this once in 1 Corinthians 2. He wrote, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. You tracking that? (laughs) If you've not been born from above, if you've not been born 
from God, this is nonsense to you. It's absolute foolishness and it always will be. You'll never believe it. Ever. The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. I mentioned it a little bit already, but I want you to chew on this a little bit more. Nicodemus is a teacher of Israel. Call him a pastor, all right? So however you view me, that's how they would have viewed this guy. He was the authority. If anyone was looking at it from the outside and you said, hey, is this guy going to heaven? Everybody would have said, well, if if he can't get in, no one can. So yeah, he's getting in. He seems to really care about what God says. He seems to really love people. He wants to know the truth. He's a seeker of the truth. He follows all God's rules to the best of his ability. He's not going to claim that he's perfect, but he does his best. If God's going to let anyone in, that's the one. What does Jesus do? He takes the door to heaven and he slams it in Nicodemus' face. He says, Nicodemus, you're not good enough. You could try as hard as you want. You could believe as hard as you want. You could pray as hard as you want. If you're not born of the Spirit, if you're not born from above, you can't come in. And he slams the door right in his face. So who can get in? How can anyone see the kingdom of God? How can anyone get in to the kingdom of God? How can anyone be born from above? Listen to verse eight again. Jesus says, the wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. I think you're smart enough to track the wind picture. It's pretty simple. Wind blows and it goes. You could try to study meteorology and figure out, well, what, you know, why is it going this way now and switching that way? And you could have an explanation, but in the end, who knows where it's going to come from tomorrow? Who knows where it's going to come from five minutes from now? It's going to shift around 180 degrees on me. Who knows? Go on the bay. Everybody says, watch out. It can change in an instant, right? Who knows where it comes from or where it's going? So it is with the work of the Spirit. Put another way, what did you have to do with your own birth? Nothing. Nothing. It's the same way with this. Holy Spirit comes to you in God's word, and as the confirmation kids know, because we talked about this, remember? There's the mirror. Holy Spirit comes and shows you his law, what God demands. It's like looking in a mirror. And what do you see? All the flaws, everything that's not quite right, everything you don't like. That's how God's word works. The Holy Spirit comes and he convinces you that you're filthy, that you always have been. It makes you feel downright awful. When the Holy Spirit's working, what what happens is you become so convinced of your sin that you actually become convinced that you're going to hell. And that's where a lot of people start to fight the Holy Spirit. They don't like that idea. I don't like the idea of feeling like I'm going to hell, so I'm just going to kick that somehow. But that's necessary. 
You need to have the door to heaven slammed shut in your face. You need to be convinced by the Holy Spirit that you are so awful, you could never get in, just like I can't. Because it's only when the door has been slammed in your face that you start to come to grips with the fact that you can't do it. You can't get in. And that's when the Holy Spirit opens the door. And points to the one who said, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I've broken this up a lot and I've been kind of bouncing around and I hope this doesn't flop, but track this through. Jesus just said, the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The verse before that is the one where I shouted at you a little bit where he said, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man who is in heaven. This same Son of Man must be lifted up and hung on a cross and must die for the sins of the world so that you and me can get in. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He drives us down into the pits of despair He makes us convinced that we cannot get in on our own and then he opens the door to heaven and he shows us Jesus, the eternal God-man who became a man in time but who has been God from all eternity, whose father planned and carried out the salvation of the world when the crown of his creation disobeyed. He said, yes, Father, I will go and I will go. He did. He came down from heaven was born under the laws that you and I failed to obey every single day and he obeyed them to redeem every single one of us who are also under the law. That you and I might become sons and daughters of the king. What does it mean to be born again? It means the Holy Spirit has convinced you of your sin, driven you to the point of despair, and then showed you Jesus who died on that cross for your sins and mine. Do you know who stood at the foot of the cross and looked up at it? Who saw the Son of Man who had been lifted up for the sins of the world and hung there dead? Nicodemus. He was one of the two men who who lowered Jesus' lifeless body from the cross and laid it in a tomb only to rise three days later. Nicodemus once had the door to heaven slammed in his face, just like you have, just like I have. But the Spirit made him born all over again so that he could look up at the God-man on the cross and be confident his sins were forgiven and heaven was his. The same's true for you. The same's true for me. You don't need to fight the Holy Spirit and try to come up with another solution to get your butt out of hell. Jesus already did. Praise the Father, great creator. Praise the Son who took our place. Praise the Spirit, sanctifier, God of free and faithful grace. Alleluia, 
Alleluia. Alleluia. Amen.